Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Carol Davis, and I'm the Nursing Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, we'll be talking about bringing staffing back to safe levels in long-term care. This podcast is supported by IntelliCare. Joining me is Reginald Hislop III, a healthcare executive, consultant, author, and widely recognized thought leader in healthcare, specialized healthcare, post-acute care, and health policy. Reg is the managing partner of H2 Healthcare. He has been an executive and consultant in healthcare and senior housing and post-acute care for over 35 years, where he has worked with hundreds of healthcare organizations in all industry segments. His client base is both national and international and includes some of the largest banking institutions and investment firms that rely on Reg's research and guidance on healthcare and post-acute industry trends and issues. Reg, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So staffing shortages caused by workload, physical and emotional strain, and lower wages existed long before the COVID pandemic showed up. Now as COVID is easing and people are going back to work, long-term care facilities must attract nurses to provide the care their residents need. To start us off, Reg, overall, what is the general state of nurse staffing in long-term care facilities right now? Well, as you indicated, it was struggling or difficult prior to COVID. Uh, COVID has really truly exacerbated and made, if you will, kind of bear the underlying issues that were already sort of endemic to the industry. So right now, today, uh, to characterize, you know, if if I were to use a scale of one to 10, with one being as bad as possible and 10 being great, we were at about a six prior to COVID. So today we're probably five or four, and maybe in some cases three. You know, so when we think about staffing, we think about things and talk about them, you know, kind of nationalized trends. But the reality is, is that each sort of market area and region is experiencing things differently, positively or negatively to the national trend. So if the national trend is poor, if you go into certain environments and certain locations, rural, for example, inner city, it's far worse than the national trend. So we've got a long way to go. And part of that is is fighting an uphill battle in terms of, you know, kind of the reputational issues that are in the industry, but also fighting certain trends that have been plagues to the overall healthcare industry, especially with regard to bedside clinical staffing. And that is folks are just burned out and have retired. The average age of nurses, registered nurses and LPNs was not very young prior to COVID. And so you can imagine the number of folks, and and we talk to providers daily, the number of folks who have just simply said, you know, I don't need to continue to do this anymore, or I can continue to do this, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to step back, reduce my hours, work only premium shifts, maybe join a staffing agency that allows me to even staff within the same environment that I was in. But to do that kind of add my discretion and add a much higher wage rate. So, you know, we've got a whole number of moving pieces going on right now. So how are they filling staffing gaps? Wow. Um, you know, some just aren't. I mean, that's, that's frank reality. Some gaps cannot be filled. 
Um, as I mentioned, you know, uh, some of our, our client base that operates, for example, in, in rural areas, uh, literally cannot find staff for particular shifts. So they are running, you know, kind of bare minimum and in some cases have had to focus on reducing organic census or reducing occupancy levels to meet sort of where staffing levels are realized or can be realized. When staffing can be improved or where shifts can be filled, boy, we've seen the myriad uh, of uh, incentives and so on. The primary reliance that providers are using today is, is really one of three kind of kind of arrows in the quiver, none of which are really all that great. So one is just simply wages, pay more. You know, uh, do whatever is necessary, offer as many financial incentives, whether it's sign-on bonuses, enhanced base pay, uh, uh, you know, incentives for picking up shifts, higher shift differentials for tough-to-fill shifts, things like that. But using, you know, sort of, any kind of financial lever they can to, to fill shifts. The other is to rely on exterior agencies or outside agencies. That is precarious in some markets just simply because not too indifferent than the provider itself. Some of the agencies don't have enough staff and can't attract additional staff to fill additional shifts. Sort of the in-between is um, having folks work overtime adding additional shifts, using incentives to create sort of, you know, environments where folks can be flexible around picking up instead of full shifts, partial shifts, doing things with kind of teams, two-person, three-person teams, you know, to sort of creatively address uh, some of the key openings on certain shifts, but not filling the entire eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours. You know, it's kind of a, kind of a myriad, but, you know, again, th th these are all sort of you know, duct tape, band-aid, super glue kind of solutions. They're not permanent. Then as they're working to bring staffing to safe levels, what should they be doing to recruit nurses? Well, the, you know, the unfortunate thing, Carol, is that, you know, it's going to be difficult to do a lot, you know, on a very short-term kind of basis. So right now, if we, we look nationwide, and then if we drill into various markets, and, you know, we're, we're in a lot of markets nationally. So, we, we've got a supply and demand problem. The demand for bedside nursing is greater than supply of folk available. Some markets are better, other markets are not. So as long as that imbalance exists, we're gonna have a short-term pull. And that short-term pull is all gonna be around, you know, providers essentially warring, if you will, or battling for the same, you know, limited supply of hours and limited supply of personnel. Longer term, you know, we, we need to do a number of things. So providers can do some, uh, but there's also, you know, policy initiatives that need to be thought through that could be helpful as well. So what providers can do is, is be creative. So one of the first things I, I mentioned to like my clients, okay, one of the key methodologies to sort of ease the strain on shifts and in, in, in staffing is, you know, this sounds kind of, you know, sort of, of rudimentary 101, but rudimentary 101 is keep all your own staff and try to increase the amount of time that they're willing to work. See if you can take your part-timers to two-thirds time or, 
you know, the two-thirds time folks to full-time and so on and so forth. And to do that in a way that you can get maximum, if you will, coverage and productivity out of your existing workforce. The next thing you need to do is you need to look at how you deliver, you know, all kinds of different elements that are part of the staffing equation. So pay is only one element. The other elements include, you know, workplace satisfaction, support, looking at giving folks the opportunity to team schedule, self-schedule, looking at sort of the market areas around you and finding creative ways to address some of the core elements that are, are dragging folks away from bedside nursing and saying, hey, is there a way that we can improve this? Are there ways that, that we can improve the work-life balance, the quality of life internal to the organization and what we're doing? Partnering with, with various agencies, community agencies, and so on, seeing if you know, there are ways to work with some of the nursing programs and schools that are in your market, uh, if they are available, by offering all kinds of different opportunities for folks to perhaps complete their education, work for the provider, do so in a way that the provider and the institution of the provider and the new employee are addressing, you know, some of the burdens of tuition, some of those costs, if that's feasible, looking at a variety of different creative benefit options. So stuff sometimes simple as easy as getting meals at work, partnering with daycare centers. Still, a lot of our nursing staff are female and may have kids uh, that need some childcare options. Sick childcare is actually a bigger issue, as we found it, than uh, well childcare. And part of the reason is, you know, um, sick child care takes folks away from the workplace because they can't go to school if they're sick or if they have a daycare, sometimes the daycares don't want them if they're sick. So maybe there's an opportunity to deal with some of those things. The real issue is in the short run, it's being very creative, being very sensitive to sort of the organic needs, if you will. And by organic, I mean pay, but also benefits and work life, quality of life. And how about retention? What should they be doing to hold on to their current nurses? Yeah, I mean, retention is the biggest is the biggest thing, you know, in terms of kind of the first leg of the of the stool. So if we look at, you know, one retention, two recruiting, and three building new, you know, kind of this three legged stool, if you will, retention is is the you know kind of the number one element. So what you know providers need to do is they really need to appreciate their staff in ways that show them beyond just dollars, the significance of the work that they are doing. So, you know, there's a lot of recognition that needs to be, you know, provided, if you will, in my opinion, to the folks that are doing the work. So that includes kind of a, a number of different things. One is identification of you know, of the work that they're doing and rewarding them uh, and recognizing them for that rule. Small stuff, doesn't have to be huge. I mean, handing out movie tickets, gift cards, things like that, doing appreciation events is a big thing. Talking directly to the staff, having open lines of communication, making sure that, you know, floor level and building level management, you know, is is being open and communicative in that they are dealing with, you know, sort of the, the work-life challenges that, that staff may be having right now. And, you know, 
dealing with burnout, making sure that you're, you know, you're being smart about how you're using staff, making sure that you're being sensitive to some of the issues that are out there, not overburdening them. One of the quick ways that, you know, we, we try to encourage a lot of our clients to, to step away from certain things, bad things, like don't mandate overtime. And I, I know somebody's going to push back at me and say, well, if we don't do that, we won't get staff. The answer is yes, you will. But the word mandate is is different. So if you say, hey, we're, we're not going to mandate anybody work overtime, we will ask and we'll work with you to help you pick up shifts and things like that. That's a different kind of a tone and that, that sets the tone of mutual respect. The number one issue I hear from nurses about the reasons why they don't work at certain places anymore or they don't feel as if they should remain in bedside nursing and so on are, are really threefold. One is they're being overworked, and I get that. Two, they're not being treated with respect, and three, they are essentially being put in a position where they feel as if they don't have a whole lot of say-so around the compromise perhaps that might be going on with regard to patient care quality. That last one is a big one. So we need to have open dialogue and communication about what's safe and how we can help them, you know, essentially remove some non-nursing tasks, if you will, so that we can concentrate on patient safety, et cetera. Obviously, I have nurses in my firm, so I have uh, lots of insight, including the, uh, the, the next highest shareholder, which is my wife, who has compliance and is also a nurse. So I get a lot of feedback from nurses in my life. My daughter's a nurse, too. So lots and lots of feedback. Sounds like it's the family business. Kind of, yeah. Well, returning to recruiting for a moment, what kind of staffing pipelines are available that LTC facilities can draw from? Schools are good. It's difficult sometimes to get new nurses to, you know, to want to start a career in long-term care. I think we need to create a better value proposition about the the values of working in long-term care and in you know, the various post-acute care settings, so whether it's the SNFs or whether it is home health or hospice, creating a better value proposition will certainly help. I have nothing against hospital work, and, and I have hospital clients, et cetera, that, you know, I'm sensitive to, but um, I'm also well aware that oftentimes the folks in long-term care and post-acute care have not done a good job in terms of selling the value and marketing the value of a career in non-hospital nursing and how rewarding that can be. So the first pipeline I recommend is to work with, you know, the schools of nursing, partner with them. You know, I've seen some creative opportunities where some of the staff of a particular facility, particularly some of the leadership staff, have donated time to work with the school and, and help with some of the clinical rotations. One of the limitations for nursing schools today is they don't have enough instructors. So maybe we can help solve some of those issues uh, point by point. Also by doing some creative nurse extern programs and things like that, bringing the students in earlier, um, not just as part of clinical rotation, but paying them to do some extern work and things like that. Getting them familiar with the environment helps build sort of that pool. There are also agencies in communities where you'll have some workforce development stuff going on that uh, you may find some of the agencies that are working with folks that, that have bilingual challenges 
where you can go to those agencies and say, hey, let's see if we can't find some ways to work and partner on getting some of the folks that have particular career aspirations or career tracks into a program and working with them in a way that allows the organization to sort of build on those skills and maybe supplant and offer some opportunity for some additional ESL education, English as a second language and so on, or working with interpreters. You know, there are a variety of different external agencies that will work with staff or will work with organizations on overseas importation of, of licensed personnel. I can tell you that is not a quick process. I can also tell you that is not an inexpensive process. I can also tell you that there is, you need to really be very, very careful about what agencies say they can bring in what people at what levels. There's a lot of fraud in that space right now. Desperation produces not only desperate acts, but also, unfortunately, inappropriate behavior on the part of folks that are looking to entrepreneur off of, off of casualties or off of difficult times and so on. So I, I urge providers, if you're going to go that route, or you're thinking about that route, network through appropriate uh, trade associations or the State Department, other things like that. Be very careful because those are not quick fixes. You can work with staffing agencies again. There are staffing agencies out there that will work directly with providers in communities where you can essentially, you know, negotiate terms, work on recruitment, bring folks in on a temp to perm basis through the staffing agency or get long-term placements and so on. Those can be everything from travel to local. Again, it's not a permanent solution, but it does sort of raise you know, the hours quotient, and unfortunately, it does come with, um, you know, some, some fairly large bills or expense. The, the agency help can be quite expensive. That's a lot of helpful information. Thank you. Well, my last question here is acute care facilities are turning to technology and artificial intelligence to aid in nurse staffing. How viable is that for long-term care nursing? Somewhat. You know, I, I think there there are some opportunities where you can use some tech to lever some some things. I don't know how much AI is available. I think one of the challenges, you know, again, for, for a lot of long-term care clients, recognize that, you know, that the vast majority of, of the skilled nursing, you know, and sort of long-term care aspect of the healthcare industry is small. It is regional or one-off owned. So while there's some large corporations that may have some resources, there's larger affiliated providers and agencies through, you know, health systems and hospital networks, et cetera. The vast majority of the industry, you know, sits at a very, very precarious level with regard to, you know, sort of the, their financial resources and their ability to invest in some of this stuff. It's not cheap. You know, it, it comes at a price tag. The point being is that I think there are some opportunities, maybe. But part of that is, is really based around the concept that most long-term care tasks um, and most clinical tasks are less about a technical sort of a, an application, more about a reasoned application, assessment, you know, and, and then sort of, of working through individual core knowledge and working with a patient that can't really always tell you exactly what's going on 
and has a lot of chronic illness and a lot of other comorbidities that sort of shape the equation. When you get there, it, it's less, you know, single task oriented and requires still a person to, to use assessment and judgment skills, you know, and to organize a team to deliver care because we're delivering way more than just simply, you know, a, a treatment or a dressing change. We're, we're going through lots of psychosocial, we're going through, you know, all kinds of different disease aspects. There are levers that you can use, and, and I do recommend a lot of these where they're accessible to make the nursing jobs easier. So, you know, there, there's plenty of places that, that will provide free, um, uh, we have, you know, uh, not just to clients, algorithms and disease management, you know, sort of, of, of approaches that, that make the nursing tasks clearer and easier. Looking at the job, you know, is really key. So you look at the nursing job, and a provider can do this very easily. Look at the job of the nurse himself or herself, the RN particularly. How many things are they doing during the day that they really don't need to do? The answer typically is about 50% of their job during the day could easily and should be done by somebody else. So look at those and, and really hone in on sort of what do I need my nurses to do that uniquely only they can do? And how many of these other things can we use a social worker for? Can we use a social services designee? Can we use, you know, a, a med administration tech or a CNA or an occupational therapist in some cases? What other things can we do to sort of reduce the burden and, and really make sure that our nurses are being used appropriately where they're needed and being part of a you know, sort of a, a more integrated team to deliver the care. Reg, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your vast expertise. It has been great speaking with you. I have enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be here each Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.